He is God and He's beautiful. He's beautiful, amen? He's beautiful. A few weeks ago, one of you guys came up to me and you said, how does this work? And as I understood the question, the question, the thrust of the question was, how can a church this small support itself? How does it work? How can you finance this, this operation? And my answer, of course, was the only possible answer, is that we put a lot of pressure on people to give a lot of money. <laughs> uh, of course, if you've been around very long, you know that that's not the case. We, we put exactly no pressure on anyone. In fact, I'm fond of saying, if you don't want to give, please don't give. Um, the Lord's not pleased with that. The other answer possibly would be we have a real slick fundraising operation going on behind the scenes that no one knows about. Uh, that's not the answer. We've never done fundraising here. Another possible answer would be that we have a mission agency standing behind us supporting us and funding the church. No, we don't have that either. We're a standalone local church with no organization behind us. Another option could be that we have a rich patriarch of the church who writes us big checks when we need them. And no, <laughs> we don't have a rich benefactor writing checks. You know the answer, right? How does a congregation this small survive? Because our God is huge. Our God is huge. He is, as Abraham called Him, Jehovah Jireh. He is the God who provides. And I believe when someone asked me that question, that was my answer. Jehovah Jireh is here. Jehovah Jireh is here. For the last 18 months or so, I've been telling people that on paper, ICM doesn't really look viable anymore. Um, this year we've averaged about 35 people on a, on a Sunday. We have more than that, I think, tonight. Praise God. But the numbers don't really add up. Back in 2008 and 2009, we had three times as many people and twice the amount of offerings. And I could see how it worked then. I, could, I got it. I could see it. It added up. I could see it. I understood it. That's not true today. I don't understand it anymore. Really, in all honesty, I don't understand how God's doing it anymore. And this is what I've been full of awe and about for the last year and a half. How God is keeping this little operation going. Just because He can. <laughs> and it pleases Him to do so, and it brings me, at least, great joy. As most of you know, ICM has a cash reserve remaining from some of the more abundant years in the past, and we are using that reserve as needed. But what has astonished me is how slowly we are using it. In fact, this year after five months, we have yet to use any of the reserve. If you had told me back in 2011 that our average attendance was going to be 39 in 2012 and was going to be 36 in 2013, and if you told me the bulk of those attending would be young adults, 
I would have guessed that ICM would have consumed its cash reserve by now. That would have been my, that, that would have been my educated guess in the flesh. That's, humanly speaking, that would have been, that would have been my guess. Historically, the Lord has used American members of ICM giving through our nonprofit corporation in the states to provide most of our funding. That's no longer true. Presently, the majority of our offerings are coming in euros and not in U.S. dollars. This is a huge deal. I know it probably doesn't mean much to you, but this is a huge deal in the history of this church. We're nine years old. What that means is that the majority of the giving now is coming from internationals, not simply from Americans. The majority of the giving is coming right through this basket and through those who wire into the church bank account. I want to quote Mike Reinhardt. He's on a cruise. Bless his heart tonight. He's on a cruise. Uh, but, you know, he's the assistant treasurer of the church. and. Sometimes I'll go over and help him count the money after everybody's gone. And I, one, a couple Sundays ago, I walked up to him and said, Mike, how's it look? He goes, it's insane! I've been quoting him ever since. It's insane! Someone, God had used someone or multiple someones to put in 1,600 euros that night in the basket. A month later, God used someone or multiple someones to put in 1,400 euros in the basket. To give you some perspective, I just want you to listen to these numbers and then we'll be done with numbers. But I just want you to understand this. I want you to understand why your pastor is in awe. Um, the last time we averaged 30 or so people was in 2005. In 2005, our average offering basket that year was 300 euros a month. 2005, we were averaging 30 people or so and our average offering in the basket was 300 euros a month. In 07, we had over 100 people orbiting the church, and the offering basket averaged 800 euros a month. That's with 100 or so people floating around. And now I'm going to tell you why I'm in awe this year. Our offerings from the basket through May has averaged 2,000 euros a month. It doesn't make sense to me. Especially since most of us during this last six months, most of you guys are, are young adults. You, I know you're, you're students and you're just starting in your professional life. It's not like you're established and you have money to, to really give in a systematic and superficial way. But Mike is right. It's, it's a little bit insane, but for the most part, it's worship-provoking. I'll tell one more story. A month or so ago, a young single woman wired in over 3,000 euros into the, the bank account. This has never happened before. This kind of money. And this is what God's been doing, really, for the last 18 months or so. And I want to tell you how much fun it is to be your pastor. <laughs> and to see you love God with your giving. It is 
I will never forget this 18 months. I don't, whatever happens going forward, I'll never forget this 18 months. When I would go to the offering basket and I could smell God. I can smell God over there. And you guys know we don't pass the plate. I don't want anybody to give that doesn't want to give. I don't want that. God doesn't want that. If you don't love Him, don't give. You know? Don't give. But the joy of going over there, you know, and I can smell Jehovah Jireh over there. And I have known, personally known, the pleasure and the joy of the widow of Sidon. You heard Sean read the text earlier. As she was running out of provision, as she was running out of flour and oil, God sent Elijah to her. And the text says the bowl of flour was not exhausted and the jar of oil was not empty. From a human perspective, over the last 18 months or so, ICM should be running out of provision, but we are not. The bowl of flour has not been exhausted and the jar is not empty. God has come to ICM through you. You are our Elijah. You are our Elijah. And I wanted to thank you. Um, yeah. I wanted to thank you. It's been a lot of fun to watch what he has done. I know <clears throat> many of you will be leaving soon. And let me thank you for loving and worshiping Jesus Christ here with your money. Thank you for bringing Him a worthy offering. I know how it is. I mean, when I give, it's still, it's still not worthy. It doesn't seem like, you know, it doesn't seem like it's worthy, but, but it's precious in the sight of God. Five years ago, I preached basically the same outline here of this sermon. But it was to a congregation that needed to remember what giving is supposed to be about. It was a congregation, a very rich congregation at that time. We had a lot of business people in the church at that time. And they, they were giving. And it, it burdened my heart, not because of the cash flow, but because what it said about us. It says, we don't really love Him that much. And I basically preached the same outline. But tonight I get to preach it to a congregation who knows what giving is all about. <laughs> you know what it's about. You've done it. You've loved God here. You've worshipped God here. God has used you to keep ICM, to keep the doors open for another year at least. And of course we know the doors will stay open as long as God... Uh, purposes for them to be open. We understand that. But God uses His people. I see Him will never close because of God's unfaithfulness. We could close because of ours. God's people must respond. My point is, you have. And you have blessed me. You have blessed me. Biblical giving has always been about one thing. 
It's about loving God. It's really not about anything else. I know you can import a lot of other issues, but at the bottom, it's about loving God. And so, I'm going to ramble tonight. I'm not going to preach a text like I normally do, you know, verse by verse. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to ramble a little bit. I'm just going to, and I'm going to reminisce about some of my favorite giving stories out of the Bible. And I, these, the, I love these giving stories. Um, and I'm just going to share them with you. I got a few other real life uh, illustrations uh, to, to share with you as well. Um, so, just going to ramble a little bit. This week I pulled one of my favorite old books off the shelf. It's A.W. Tozer's book. He was a preacher back in the 20th century over in the States. Whatever Happened to Worship? It's an essay on true worship. And he says, in short, what passes for normal Christianity today is not normal Christianity at all. It's nominal. He's right. It's not normal. It's nominal. Paraphrasing him, he goes on, normal Christianity is a wholehearted, delighted, overwhelmed, all-out, relentless pursuit and worship of Jesus Christ in every sphere of life. He continues, Many in the church today would label that kind of Christianity as extreme. He says, no, this is not extreme. This is what Christianity is supposed to look like. This is normal Christianity. And this is what I've seen here for the last 18 months. I've seen some normal Christianity. I've seen people loving God. <laughs> um, as they brought Him offerings in this place. People loving God. I've had a front row seat, <laughs> and it's just been a great ride. It's been a great ride for your pastor. I couldn't help but think of Exodus 35 and 36. Some of you will remember the account. God called the Old Testament Jews to bring a free will offering. You remember what He said? He said, whoever had a willing heart. And if you go and you read Exodus 35 and 36, six times in the text, the text says, their hearts were stirred. Their hearts were moved. This is always what it's like. For a normal Christian or a normal believer in the Old Testament context, it's always about that. It's about a stirred heart. It's not about orthodoxy or religion or doctrine or, or performance. It's not about that. It's about a stirred heart. And their hearts were stirred. And you remember the end of the story, don't you? Abraham, oh, pardon me, Moses had to command them to stop bringing stuff. They were bringing too much stuff. You know, really, this is how, <laughs> this is how it always ought to be in the church. Um, but, but Moses had to stop them. They had to be restrained. They were bringing too much. Their hearts were stirred. They were in love with this great God who had delivered them from Egypt. They were in love with Him. They could not not bring Him a worthy offering. Our offering is really beloved and it's just a reflection of our hearts. It's just a reflection of our hearts. And I've seen your heart the last 18 months. And I will never forget it. Let me interject. The overarching biblical principle about money and giving for the believer can be summed up in one word. Um, God. 
<laughs> God. Your view of your money is a reflection of your view of God. Your priorities with your money is a reflection of your view of God. Your anxiety about your financial security is a reflection of your view of God. Your practice in giving your money, it's a reflection of your view of God, period. This is why God speaks to money and wealth. So much in the Bible. So much. So in the Bible, we see men and women who could not not worship their God with a worthy offering. And I just want to talk about a few of these guys. You know these words, Psalm 63, 1-3. O God, Thou art my God, I shall seek Thee earnestly. My soul thirsts for Thee. My flesh yearns for Thee. Thy loving kindness is better than life. Psalm 145, 1-3-3. I will extol Thee, my God, O King. I will bless Thy name forever and ever. Every day I will bless Thee, and I will praise Thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and highly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. It's only natural for the man who wrote those words to say these words that I'm going to read to you from 1 Chronicles 29. David says, Now with all my ability I have provided for the house of my God. And moreover in my delight in the house of my God, the treasure I have of gold and silver, I give it to the house of my God. This heart that seeks God, thirsts for God, and yearns for God, and loves God unashamedly. This is the heart that quite naturally renders up a worthy offering to God. David is full of awe and wonder, love and worship. And he says, with all my ability, I delight to provide for the house of my God. I've seen this in you the last 18 months. Here's another one of my favorite stories from Scripture. He was a little bitty guy and he climbed up a sycamore tree. You guys know this guy, right? Because he wanted to see God incarnate. And the man who climbed down that tree was not the same man who went up that tree. He went up that tree loving money. He came down that tree loving Jesus, right? That's the way it is for those of us who have truly encountered the Lord. And Zacchaeus said, Lord, behold, half of my possessions I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone, I will give it back four times as much. Normal Christianity. <laughs> I know in the modern day context, it's called extreme. But Tozer's right. If we've met Jesus Christ, if He is as if he's half as awesome as we sang about him earlier, and we know he's a billion times more awesome, he is worthy. He is worthy of any offering we can bring. Zacchaeus came down that tree with a new treasure in his heart. He wasn't going to hoard his money anymore. He was going to cheerfully give it away. I've seen that in you in the last 18 months. Here's maybe my favorite story in the Bible about this. Um, I refer to her a lot, and uh, so you'll bear with me if I, I refer to her again. Um, and I put myself in her shoes. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be her. And she's sitting there at the table, and uh, 
I am is sitting across the table from her. She's been thinking about it for a long time. She's thought about being cautious and prudent and, rest- and to restrain herself. She thought about what others would say. It's all the stuff you know that trips up the nominal Christian. She thought about it. But when she looked at him, none of that really mattered anymore. It didn't matter. All she wanted to do was worship him with the best that she had. And she excused herself and ran a few doors down the street to her house. She went into her bedroom. She went to her nightstand. She pulled out a vial of costly perfume. It was worth a year's wages. No doubt the most valuable thing that she owned. She ran back down to Simon's house. And her heart was so full, it was about to explode because she loved him so much. And as she walked over to him, their eyes met. And it was, like, it was like he said to her, do all that's in your heart. Do all that's in your heart, my daughter. Do all that's in your heart. And she did. And she broke the vial. She poured a year's wages over his head. And she anointed his feet. And she wiped them with her hair. I love this story. I love how Mary loved Jesus I loved how He did that. Her worship was unrestrained. It was extravagant. It was wholehearted. It was ardent. It was lavish. It was normal Christianity. I've seen that at ICM over the last year and a half. Here's one more. You'll recognize it. She was a lot like Mary. She thought about it a lot. She, she was tempted to crunch the numbers on it, but she decided that was no way to consider an offering to God. This was a big deal. It was a big sacrifice. But she had a big God, so she went ahead and threw her last penny in the temple treasury. This was not extremism to her. This was perfect. It was perfect. And it's interesting in that text, Jesus was observing how the people were giving and Jesus called His disciples together and He said, Truly, truly I say to you, this poor woman put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty put in all she owned, all she had to live on. She's like those crazy Macedonians over in 2 Corinthians 8. They gave out of their deep poverty. They gave according to their ability and beyond. They begged with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the offering. This is how she was. In his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, John Piper writes this, It is almost impossible for Christians in the affluent West to come to terms with Jesus' commendation of this widow. To see this kind of giving fleshed out, we may have to go to the third world. I've told you this story before. Some of you may have heard it. Some of you may not have heard it. But I love to tell the story of Edmund. How many of you heard my story on Edmund? The guy from, from Haiti. Good. Not too many. Nobody actually. 
this, Piper, this story was told to John Piper by a Haitian missionary. The, a local church was having a love offering. And uh, they opened an, an envelope and it had 13 U.S. dollars in it. 13 U.S. dollars in Haiti at this time was the equivalent of three months' wages. It'd be like someone coming here to count the, the basket, the offering here, and there'd be 10,000 U.S. dollars in it. I mean, this, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about the equivalent. And um, it was from this guy named Edmund. But Edmund was nowhere to be found. They couldn't find Edmund anywhere, right? And so the missionary, the missionary made it a point to go find Edmund the next week. And he ran into Edmund down in the village, and he said, man, he said, what about this $13? How do you, how do you give $13? <laughs> he said, I sold my horse. He said, well, why didn't you stay for the, why didn't you come to the, the fellowship and stay at the church? Why? He goes, I don't, have a, I don't have a proper shirt. I love this story. <laughs> you know, um, he says, I don't have a proper shirt. He gave us $13 to God. Many would call this extreme. Maybe it is extreme. Maybe it is extreme. But Jesus commends it. And Jesus loves it if we take our cue from His comments about the widow. I'll tell you one more story and I'll be done. Then I'll make a few closing comments. I love this story. And if you've read George Mueller's biography, you've encountered this story. There was a seamstress in the community and she lived at subsistence level. She earned a few shillings a month. Her father died and left her 400 pounds. This was a small fortune for her. She paid her father's debts off. And then she gave Mueller 100 pounds. Mueller knew how poor she was. And Mueller did not want to accept the 100 pounds. So Mueller goes to her and he writes this. Before accepting the money, I had a long conversation with her. I needed to know her motives, whether she had uh, counted the cost, whether this was some emotional thing or if she had truly counted the cost. Mueller continues... I had not conversed long with this beloved sister before I found out she was a quiet, calm, considerate follower of Jesus Christ. In spite of human reasoning and logic, she desired to not lay up for herself treasures upon the earth, but to lay up for herself treasures in heaven. When Mueller began to press her still further, she finally got a little bit irritated. She said, Jesus gave His last drop of blood for me. Should I not give Him the hundred pounds? <laughs> Mueller surrendered. <laughs> this was a woman who had counted the cost. This was a woman who wanted to give the hundred pounds. And she did. It's estimated that King David, and yeah, he was a king, Kings have a lot of money. But it's estimated that King David set aside multiple billions for God's house. I've seen estimates as high as 15 billion. I, I, I have no idea. I didn't do the math. I'm not going to do the research. Okay? I've, I've read this, this. Multiple billions for God's house. Zacchaeus gave half his wealth away. Mary poured out a year's wages. The widow gave a penny. Edmund gave $13. The seamstress gave her 100 pounds. So what do we learn from all this? It's not about the It's not about the money. It's about this. It's about this. It's about who I love. 
You know, people ask me, and I think I talked about this last week. Uh, people ask me sometimes, how much money should I give? That's always the wrong question. <laughs> That's always the wrong question. It's not about the money. It's about how you love God. Don't start with the money. Start with God. I've seen this in you the last 18 months. It's not people looking at the money. It's people looking at God. That's really what biblical giving is all about. John Piper said it perfectly. In authentic worship, calculation ceases. Listen, if you need a calculator to figure your offering, just forget about it. I mean, if you have to use a calculator to, to do your offering, just, just keep it in your pocket, right? Until you grow a little longer, grow a little deeper into, uh, uh, into maturity. You don't need a calculator to, to give an offering. Whatever's in your heart, give it. This is what the Apostle Paul says. Whatever's in your heart, give it. Authentic, genuine, true. And to use Tozer's word, normal Christianity. It's the word Paul uses in, in that Corinthians passage. We are, anybody remember? Hilarious. We are hilarious givers. I've seen this. I've seen this in you. These last 18 months. Now, I know some of you haven't learned yet how to give uh, in, this, in this way. When I preached this sermon five years ago, or the bulk of it, uh, the issue of guilt came up. And maybe a sermon like this evokes some feelings of guilt. But that's not my objective. In fact, my objective is the polar opposite of guilt. You should never give out of guilt. It doesn't please God. Don't give out of guilt. Normal Christian giving has nothing to do with guilt. It's about loving God. That's, that's all it's about. And I've got to watch you for 18 months love God right there. And we don't pass the offering plate in here. And people are, you know, I go home and I talk about you guys and I tell people, say, well, you, well, you don't pass the offering plate? You get any offerings? Yeah. It smells like God over there. You are Elijah to me. And I will never forget you. I have seen in this place hearts in love with Jesus Christ. Hearts like David, Zacchaeus, Mary, the widow, Edmund, and Mueller's seamstress. Your giving has been a reflection of your heart. You have loved Jesus here. You have, you have honored Him here. And on the far side of eternity, I'll remember it. I'll remember it. And so will God. John Piper says in closing, God is not magnified before an unbelieving world when we merely point to our pile of money and our pile of stuff and thank Him. God is magnified in our lives when the unbelieving world sees us give it away for the glory of Jesus. That is normal Christianity. So thank you. 
Thank You for this ride I've been on for 18 months. Thank You for allowing me to witness Your vibrant and very real love affair with the incarnate, crucified, buried, risen, reigning, returning God, Jesus Christ. So I praise God for what He's done in this place for the last 18 months. I praise God for what He has done through you. God has come to ICM through you. He has sent you to us. You have been Elijah to us. The bowl is not exhausted and the jar is not empty. Praise God. Praise God. And I thank you for this ride I've been on. Watching you love Jesus Christ in this place, I will never forget it. I will never forget it. As you may have noticed, we are going to celebrate the Lord's table tonight. The way we do this here, we have open communion. Everyone who has made a profession of faith in Jesus and has followed Him in believers' baptism, you are welcome to partake with us. The way we do this, someone will come and play an instrument or sing a song in the last three, four, five minutes. During that time, I invite you to prepare your heart to receive these elements, to come to the Lord's table. Paul warns the Corinthians not to come to the table in an unworthy manner. If you're not willing to repent of your sin, if you're harboring sin in your heart, don't come to the table. But if, you, if you've confessed your sin and repented of your sin, and you love Jesus so much you can't stand it, and you want to remember this awesome thing He's done, then come to the table. Jesus says, do this to remember Me. So I invite you to come to the table tonight and remember this awesome Savior. This awesome warrior shepherd God. Come to the table tonight and remember Him and honor Him. So, during the music, come get the cup and the bread. Go back to your seat. When the music ends, I will stand and read a text and then we will partake of the elements at that time.